Do you wonder what runs through the mind of the CEO of your favorite company? Have you ever looked at an organization or an association or a big brand and questioned some of the decisions they made and thought to yourself, what is the person in charge thinking? Well, I've got the guy who can answer those questions for us today. My guest today is Angel Rebo, and he's the CEO confidant. He gets inside the minds of CEOs, and he monkeys around and fixes them up. Actually, Angel is known as the CEO confidant because he can help them make better decisions, he can help them be more productive, and he can really help a lot of them probably from going crazy. You see, Angel's an influencer, he's a LinkedIn strategist, he's an international TV host, a public speaker, and he's a board member and philanthropist. And in the last 21 years, he's empowered more than 1,500 CEOs in 33 different countries. He was born in Barcelona, and he has lived in eight countries, speaks five languages, established entrepreneurs and corporate CEOs, hire Angel to bridge the gap globally for expansion and exposure. He sits on the board of the Evolutionary Business Council, an organization with more than 350 global transformational leaders with a combined reach of well over 6 million people. He's based in Texas, and in early 2017, he launched his international foundation called Wisdom for Kids, and he's helped more than 1,000 underprivileged kids in Latin America become entrepreneurs using their local resources. My friends, please join me in welcoming Angel Rebo to the Inside BS Show. Angel, welcome to the show, and thanks for all the great work you're doing for kids. I mean, that is really amazing, helping 1,000 kids be entrepreneurs. That's fantastic. <laughs> thank you very much for such a nice uh, introduction, and obviously, thank you, everybody who's listening to us today. Well, it's great to have you. Ta tell us about uh, how you got into, uh, well, how, you know, you're the CEO confidant. You're the guy who the CEOs depend on to give them the straight truth, right? How did you start doing that? Did you, did you wake up one day when you were a child and say, I want to help CEOs be more successful? <laughs> how did you get started? Well, to your question, when I was in when I was in in high school, I wanted to be a computer engineer. And after the first, after the second semester in college, I realized that was mm. not me. It was definitely not me. So, actually, by practice, I mean in 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 the nineties, I left Spain for good and I went to live into the UK. That was one of the countries I lived in, and I started my literally my sales career. So. I started to make a lot of phone calls every single day, trying to get appointments for my field sales reps. That, that was my starting point, to be honest. And then, uh, you know what? My field reps loved me because I was getting appointments to CEOs. So that was the starting point. And, that, and I started to do that from the UK for Spanish accounts. And then I went to Portugal and then to France and then to, um, to Germany and then to the Nordic countries. And it's funny because I was calling those countries without knowing their, their actual language, but I was still able to conduct business there and get business there and conduct, you know, uh, and, and set appointments for my field reps. So the answer to your question is making literally thousands and thousands of calls, trying to deal with the gatekeepers and reaching out to them and convincing them that it would be worth their time to meet with someone face to face in order to discuss what would be the, the best way to accelerate the growth of their business. That was the, that's, how, that's how I started. Yeah. 
What's the what's the secret to getting an appointment with a CEO? What did you discover through all those calls? What's the what's the secret? What are the one or two things that people need to know mm -hmm. to get the CEO either on the phone or to get to get in front of the CEO? Number one, num there's always going to be a gatekeeper, right? So the number one, I mean, maybe the shortcut would be call on a Friday afternoon and maybe, you know, <laughs> you could get the direct line or the, or the CEO is going to take the call, which has happened to me many times. But number one, there's going to be a, a gatekeeper. So always try to be yourself. Don't try to be anybody else. Be yourself. Be human. Be, be just who you are. Don't, don't pretend to be anybody else. The only thing that you have to show is that you are yourself and you genuinely, you genuinely want to talk to someone. In this case, probably, you know, the boss or the peer. Of that of that person that you're talking to and tell them you know that's why i would like to do it something that has actually helped me a lot is always to relate that first conversation with gatekeeper and that's kind of advice number two is to relate that conversation to something that's happening in in that very moment so obviously i you know i go i google that person i google that company i know what's going on i know what's the last thing that happened in that company and then i relate my conversation with that gatekeeper to that conversation you know, I know that this just has happened now. That this is what this is why I'm reaching out to this to 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 this CEO, right? And it's happening this right now. And I think that you know we can have, or we we might eventually be able to help you with this specific goal or this specific issue that you have or this specific acquisition that you just did. To be honest, I mean, we always try to pretend so much. You know, it's, it's like when we are writing an email, right? We overthink it like 10 times or we use someone else's recipe, you know, that template, that swipe file, it's going to be, you know, it's going it, to, it's, it's the magic, it's the magic bullet, you know, that doesn't exist. Yeah. Really, honestly. So the best thing I would do if I were you, I mean, anybody listening to us, just do it a lot. Do it as many times as you can. And just, you know, don't, don't put yourself in a place in which you are measuring how many, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. How many calls do I have to make? No, no, no. Don't do not measure the success measure, measure the failure, measure how many, you know, calls were you actually, actually hung up onto, you know, measure, measure the failure. So you make it a goal, you know, to lower the number of calls that you were rejected. I think that's, that, that that's a good way to do it mentally speaking because it takes a stamina, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Talk about now your business is uh, you you talk to a lot of CEOs and when you talk to CEOs, how many times have they worked with someone who that was referred to them or someone who was connected to them? Because there's a very high trust barrier, right? So in your mm -hmm. business, how do you get most of your clients? I would imagine people pass you from one place to another because, you know, Angel Rebo, he really helped me a lot. You got to call you got to call Angel. How um, how easy is it once you have success with one CEO to get them to refer you to somebody else? That's my question. Well, it's it's as it's as easy as you know a CEO you know trust someone who is a trusted advisor of that person, right? So that's the that's the easy answer. Everybody does their own due diligence because we are talking about something. I mean, bottom line, they've you know we are all human beings. We all go through different kinds of, you know, we all have our limiting beliefs. We all have, you know, those things that we would like to fix, regardless of where you are, regardless of the company that you run. It doesn't matter. We are still human beings and we still face, you know, um, challenges in our lives. And as far as we are open enough and talking about the CEOs, open enough to get a piece of advice from an external, you know, source and that and an additional, let's say, an external set of eyes mm -hmm. to look into our lives. You know that's going to work out so 
is it difficult to get to, to a CEO? It is. It is. Is it easier to get to that these people when you get a referral? Of, obviously, it is. But they still are going to do their own due diligence, and they still are going to test you, and they still are going to look for references, and that's good because again, um, it's like when you market something or you market a show, right? It's not for everybody. It's right. not for everybody. You really want to uh, attract the people that you can really help, and I really sure. mean it. You know, I, I really, for instance. Um, I, I like to talk a lot about, you know, self-awareness, about mindset, mm -hmm. about, you know, even about the spirituality and why, why, you know, we are, you know, spiritual beings having a having a physical experience. Right. And not everybody resonates with that. And that's OK, you know, and and I still have clients who are believers and have different different, you know, faiths and denominations. And that's all right. But you know what? We always find the common ground. You know, mm -hmm. we find a common ground. I really think that regardless of the of your position, you always want to do good in this world. There's no CEO out there that regardless of their position or the position, their position of power wants to really do bad to anybody. Sure. No, nor employees, sure. nor shareholders. You know, so we really have much more common ground among us than what we what we might think. But you see the question. Your question is so it, it's, it's so useful for everybody listening to us because there's this mental trap, right? There's, there's this uh, cognitive trap that, you know, there's so much up there that it's impossible. It's so difficult to to reach out to them. And just let me give you an example. Two hours ago, I was sitting having lunch with a senior VP uh, of a $500 million corporation. OK, so he's in part of the leadership team. And oh, my God, if you had if you were there on our table, just I mean, just to give you an example, he's the most amazing guy you would like to you know go with him you would we would go to church with him you would go to, to for a for a beer with him you know again it's it's all you know we're all human beings and and yeah and actually i would i would even think they to be to be very honest i think that right now for the last 12 months we've lost so much connection we've lost i'm going to repeat that we've lost lost connection in in such a broad way among us yeah. that having this connection back and ceos are not an exception is huge. I was having this call face to face. I mean, I was having lunch with him, with this SVP. Uh, and but he I mean, it, it was like, wow, I mean, it was a great conversation. Like it was the first time, but it was a great conversation. We really I mean, get on well. And I, I mean, we spoke about families and everything, you know, people really want to reconnect. And I yeah. think that's another piece of advice. Right now, when you're having conversations and you're trying to, you know, get like convince gatekeepers, when you're trying to reach out C level executives, you know, just talk about reconnecting, talk about yeah. reconnecting, talk about, you know, having a look at, at, at their businesses and their lives from a different set of set of eyes. Things mm -hmm. have changed. The, the market has changed. There's a lot of things that have changed. Be you the one that's going to give an additional, you know, uh, external, you know, external, you know, opinion about what's going on there. Yeah, talk a little bit about how important it is for senior leadership. Whether it doesn't matter if it's an entrepreneurial business or a Fortune 500 company, talk about how important it is for them to have someone that they can talk to on a personal level about the business. Because every conversation they have is a conversation that includes a political calculation if it's inside their company. And if it's a conversation with someone outside of the company, every conversation they have in the back of their mind is, I'm wondering what this person is, is looking to gain by this interaction. So if they have a coach, if the CEO has a coach, tell folks how important it is that 
you know, you don't have an agenda. Your agenda is to help them be more successful so they can really feel comfortable and open up to you. Explain to folks that dynamic, please. And not only what you just explained, but I I think that it's important to remember that to be, again, my, my experience has taught me so many times that in reality, obviously about that particular industry or business, they are probably going to know more than me, but that's not an issue. Mm-hmm. And in, also in reality, most of the answers they're looking for, they already have them inside of them. And that's the most important thing. The, re- the real value that they bring to the equation, besides my perspective, you know, having w- helped so many companies and worked with so many companies in so many industries, is actually that I am able to ask questions. Mm-hmm. I'm able to ask the right questions or additional questions or questions that they didn't think that maybe they should ask themselves. And just to have that period of time, this space, this safe space to be themselves. So I can ask them those questions and we can jointly reflect about those answers and those questions. That's really powerful. Yeah. I think, you know, I've heard from, from Tony Robbins many times say that the quality of, the, of your life is the quality of the questions that you ask yourself. And I really think that's, that's the case. Because the most powerful questions are the things that trip, typically trigger the most profound changes. The mm. most profound changes. And, so, you know, I mean, obviously, one thing which is, which is true is that obviously CEOs and the larger the company is probably, you know, the, the largest the impact of their decisions are, is, right? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, they're very busy. I mean, that's for sure. And besides making sure that they're the right leaders for their organization, that, you know, that when they delegate everything on the leadership team or when they go and they present the results quarterly to their boards, they have a lot of responsibility. OK, I mean, it, I mean, it's a huge burden. It's like, you know, it's like going to the principal's office, you know, many times in many different ways. Right. But again, who's going to give them that safe space? Who's going to give them that safe space in which they will be able to reflect on things that typically they don't have to? And that's really the power of us as coaches, really. I really think that that's the most important thing that we bring. And we, because, I mean, how can you possibly teach someone? And, and, and also, this, this is not only personally speaking. I mean, this is also about the business. Yeah. You, there's a lot of questions that you can ask about the business, about the culture, about the engagement of their employees, about accountability of their employees and to their leadership team. There's a lot of things that can be actually explored through asking the right, you know, powerful questions. Yeah. Talk a little bit about how how difficult is it to convince someone they need help, to convince someone they need that sounding board. Many times over the years, uh, when I when I went into a company or when someone called me on the phone, I wouldn't find out right away. I wouldn't find out probably until maybe even six months or seven months into the engagement how they came to make a decision to bring a coach in. And a lot of times it's if I had to pick the top three things, somebody on my board said, hey, have you ever thought about getting a coach or a peer? I was playing golf with my buddy who's, you know, a successful entrepreneur. And he said how great his the advice he got from his coach was. So I thought I would explore it. You know, the third thing, believe it or not, and people are astonished when I say this to them, I I get a lot of calls, and maybe you do too, from people who they don't know who to call, and they're just out 
doing research or they're having somebody do research for them and you're one of three people, they, they watched all their YouTube videos and you're the person who they called first because they liked your style on YouTube. And these are people who, they could hire anybody they want, right? Why is it so difficult for these people to ask, just ask for help? Just call your buddy and say, hey, I need a coach. Do you know anybody? Why is it so hard for them to ask for help? Well, I think, I think because it's perceived, number one, because I think it's perceived sometimes like a, like a, like a weakness. And that, hap that happens to us also, Dave, as entrepreneurs. We, I mean, in the beginning, until, you know, we really make these big, massive failures and we have nowhere else to go, mm. we tend to do everything ourselves. We, we, are, we are our sales, we are our marketing, we are our operations, we are our, you know, CPAs, we are everybody. So that's, that's the first thing, okay? The excuse is the time, but time is not really ever an excuse. And obviously money is not an excuse either, right? So I think it's, it's really like, you know, why should I be asking for help? Why should I be asking for help? But um, once, w w I definitely get those calls, the same, the same kind of calls that, you, that you, you get. And I think it's good that they do that due diligence themselves and they go online and they, you know, they listen to those podcasts, those interviews, and they, sure. they read your posts and they, they really know what you are standing up for. And yeah. I think it's important that they really know what kind of human being you are. So, you know, I think that's that's good. But at the same time, you know, as you know, there are millions of coaches and, you know, how many are really um, I, I don't remember any statistic from ICF, you know, the International Coaching Federation. But sure. um, probably probably I mean, a lot of me, a lot of people make money, but not a lot of people make a lot of money. Right. Yeah. So that's probably that's probably the case. So. I think that more and more people are looking for help, uh, but maybe the, the, the question is also, are we doing the right marketing? Are, are we as coaches doing the right marketing? Are we positioning ourselves the right way to attract the right people? You know, something that is really funny that I see all the time, every time I meet face to face, like today with this SVP, with some C-level, every time I realize that they did a great job from the marketing perspective because they are all like, really like like made with the same cookie cutter in the in this in the in this in the in the sense that they have their, their main the same values they are easygoing people they people that really believe in in, in specific specific principles they really trust their families they trust their friends they have their own side businesses or their wives have their own side businesses so again the i i would really ask myself if that's the case and we are having issues trying to find the right person is are we positioning ourselves correctly are we niching okay so are we being specific enough so that there's no doubt what kind of people we really want to help we don't want to help as coaches everybody right we feel comfortable and it's okay to do it it's right. okay to do it to really you know um help in a specific kind of you know uh, of, of CEO. And let me tell you an example, as, as you mentioned before, I'm very strong on, you know, philanthropy and I, I myself with my nonprofit help, help kids in Latin America. So I myself, every time I have an, you know, uh, a first meeting with a, with a, with a potential client, I always talk to them about what would you like to do with your life? You know, how have you been contributing to this world so far? Right. You know, besides, obviously I want to make sure that they really want to change. And I have, I have obviously the same as anybody else. I've had failures. I have failed in with coaching clients. And the main reason why I have failed is because I took shortcuts, <laughs> you right. know, instead of doing what I had to do, I said, no, 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 this has been so well recommended by someone else. 
that you know what this is not really needed you know you know so i'm going to do i'm going to go to exactly do this this and when i don't do what i always do and what i always do the best if i don't do that then high you know there's high <laughs> highly a high likelihood that i'm going to fail you know yeah. and, and that's okay because at the end of the day you know we are human beings and we learn from failures you know you you said in that answer you said so much i think the the first thing that that really uh resonated with me is you you shouldn't be out trying to regardless of your business you shouldn't be out trying to attract everyone you should be trying to attract people who are just like your best clients and when you uh in the beginning the very beginning of our time together today you mentioned uh you know you mentioned spirituality and you said oh that might turn some people off that's okay because they're Absolutely. not your client that that mm -hmm. person you know the person who gets turned off by that that's not that's not a that's not a client for you that that'll be a client for somebody else there's so many clients out there i realized a long time ago from when, when I uh, first started working with professionals, I was helping almost exclusively with sales and marketing. And I realized that the mission of my work was to help people both make a great living and live a great life, to make money and enable them to spend more time with their family, with their friends. And that mission led me to the realization that for that work, a uh, solo uh, pro professional, who had no family, no friends, and was working until midnight every night and then would come back in at six in the morning, that wasn't a good client for me. And you know why that person wasn't a good client for me? Because we didn't have anything in common. You know, I got a couple of kids, I got a couple of dogs, I love spending time with them, and I work so that I can do whatever I want with those people, with those dogs, whenever I wanna do it, right? If that resonates with you, you're a great client for making money and living a great life. If that doesn't resonate with you, and if you want to make $10 million by working 300 hours, you know, 150 hours a week, 200 hours a week by, you know, billing 2,500 hours a year, I'm not your guy. I'm not the person who can help you do that. When I, it was like when I realized that, like a weight was lifted off of my shoulders, oh my and God. I said to my wife, <laughs> "I'm never working with any of these people again." <laughs> so silly. And it, it was so liberating. Um, talk to me about that. That so that come that's self awareness. Talk to me about CEOs and self awareness. I found that the best CEOs know who they are. They know what their strengths are and they leverage their strengths and they surround themselves with people who can help with their weaknesses. What's your experience been? Yes. And not only that, they keep on recruiting people that are much better than themselves. Mm. Even if that looks like, a, you know, it's like you either live in, I mean, Dave, let's face it. You either live in a, in a world of a scarcity or in a world of, of abundance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is what it is, mm -hmm. you know? So, so I think that most of the CEOs live in a, in a world of abundance and they keep on hiring the best team possible and they are fully aware of the weaknesses. You know, they are fully aware of the weaknesses and they use their strengths to generate as much business as they can in their company. That would be like a nice summary of what, of what you just explained. Um, at the same time, you know, talking about self-awareness, um, I, I think that in general, m most of them put some time aside, like to have some, some me time to do things that otherwise we don't have time besides, you know, dealing with the dealership, with the leadership team, excuse me, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, dealing with, with, with the most urgent things in their businesses. I think that they really set some time aside to do things that they don't have time or just to self-reflect. 
mm-hmm. uh, and to see, you know, and, and to see where their mind is at that point in time. I think that um, there's, I remember, I remember uh, it's not, it's not available anymore, but they remember an app in the app store. There was an app, which was a wonderful app. The only thing that the app did was you could program it so that X, um, every X amount of minutes, the app, the app would ask you just this question. Where would you like your your attention to be right now? Where would mm. you like your attention to be right now, right? And that was a great exercise. I mean, I mean I, and so I think that the great leaders actually they do that. Where is your attention? Is your attention really what it should be? What is your priority? Mm-hmm. Are you really putting? Is is your life, business life, and personal life both going around your priorities? And mm-hmm. as you know, I mean, I did that all the time. I mean, I compromised my personal life, my family life because of my, you know, professional life many times, many years until I decided to leave, you know, corporate America a few years ago. But, uh, you know, th- that's also very often something that they are aware. Sure. They are aware, you know, the CEOs are, are totally aware that, you know, they're leaving probably some, you know, kids, you know, some kids activities, some, you know, even if they're, you know, old, you know, they're, they're leaving the family a little bit behind um, and, and they are fully aware of that. And, and, and that's, that's very often one of the reasons why they go to coaches is because, okay, so I've been very successful here, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having those issues with the rest of my life. You know, how can we, how can you help me fix those kinds of things? And that's why I think that, you know, what I, what I do differently to other coaches is what really helps me. Yeah, that's great. Talk about the uh, the people who the CEO surrounds him or herself with. How um, how do they how do they make sure they get those decisions right? Um, well, obviously, there's no right or wrong, right? I mean, there's well, always right for right for them. Exactly. We're talking about self awareness and, yeah. and you know matching their weaknesses and being you know superseding yes. them in certain areas. How do they make sure they do that the right way? Yeah, so. What I was trying to say is that, and I understood your question. What I'm trying to say is that, let's say that every decision has their their ups and there's there's you know there's pros and their cons. You know, so what they're always doing in, inside their mind, as opposed to that, I think that they're always you know seeing the pros and the cons of every single decision. Mm-hmm. How do they surround? I mean, as they are so aware of their weaknesses, they don't want to be going to the board to meet with the board to report results or whatever. And, and still having to face those weaknesses. So I think that they are very smart surrounding them with, first, a very strong leadership team, mm-hmm. okay? Very strong leadership team that's gonna help him balance his own weaknesses in whichever area is. It can be finance, it can be sales, it can be marketing, whatever that is. That's one thing. And second, they also have these, you know, external trusted advisors, these colleagues, these even peer groups. As you know, there's many organizations mm-hmm. today that offer these peer groups in which you go, you meet with other, you know, with other CEOs and you discuss, you know, business, business, uh, you know, decisions and, and, and then they help you do it. They all have external advisors. They all have trusted advisors. They all have not, not all have, all of them have peer groups, but I think that it's becoming more and more important. Yeah. And also something that comes from that I have, I have started to see and something that comes from the entrepreneurial world is masterminds, you know, mm. masterminds. I think that we are increasing, there is an increasing number of CEOs that are starting to go to, to masterminds uh, because they really believe that uh, there's a lot of things that can be learned from those kind of groups. 
Oh, that's interesting. And how do they uh, how do they organize? I, I can imagine because I, I run I run a group myself for uh, for professionals and, you know, we have some high level professionals in there, but generally professionals because they feel like they're, on, you know, like entrepreneurs, they're on an island, right? They feel like they're by themselves. So they gravitate toward those groups. How does a CEO find a, a mastermind group where there's going to be people who are who are like his or her peers? You know, you run a run a a $600 million annual revenue company, you know, I mean, there are other people who do that, but how do you, how do you stumble upon a group of them? <laughs> yes. I mean, I mean, there are, there are many organizations that do that today. I mean, okay. it's, it's, it's relatively, you know, easy to find them. You know, I don't want to say names, but I would say there's like three or four different groups of CEOs that they meet, you know, or organizations that, facilitate and then you know they have leaders they have chairs for those groups of ceos yeah so this is i mean if you go to linkedin actually you will see that uh you know easily and typically those ceo groups they tend to also you know use a lot of ads advertising on linkedin for instance mm. so that should be that should be easy for them to find that yeah should be easy for them. yeah all right, let's let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the pandemic and the CEO's challenges beyond just the obvious challenges of keeping people healthy and you know making sure that uh, employees and obviously customers, clients stay healthy. What are some of the big challenges you see for CEOs related to the pandemic right now? Yeah, it's very clear. It's it's doing more with less. Mm. I mean, obviously, obviously, it hasn't. It hasn't, it hasn't affected every single industry the same way, right? So let's face it, there's industries whose revenues have gone down like, dramatically and others that have kept alive and others that have actually done great during this, mm -hmm. you know, circumstances or current state of affairs that we are living in the world. So besides that, I mean, the, the common answer is doing how to do less, how to do more with less. Mm -hmm. And I'm not doing how to do the same with less. I'm saying how to do more with less. So I think that in general, everybody's more concerned about their profitability, not only about their bottom line. You know, it's very easy to say, OK, so our revenues were down. But is it possible to increase the profitability of your company, even though your revenues went down? And the answer is a big yes. Does everybody know how to do it? No, no, because we tend to think we tend to think and there's a lot of people out there that tend to think that, you know, it's just, you know, we have, we have to cut cost, uh, costs. That's it. And what about culture? And what about employee engagement? Mm. And what about how, how can employee engagement? You talked about health, but obviously CEOs have also been very very concerned about keeping the talent in their organizations, even in times in which maybe they couldn't pay them. They couldn't pay the talent properly. Sure. But that, that has been a number one concern. How do I keep the talent now that my revenue is going down? So I, I think that the most successful organizations, I've seen that, so I, that's why I'm sharing it with you, have actually really cared about improving employee engagement as a way to improve profitability in these times of hardship. Yeah, yeah. And what are you, uh, what are you seeing in terms of trends as far as uh, work from home? And are, do, do the company's leaderships, uh, are they embracing it? Do they feel threatened by it? Does it depend on the size of the company? How is the how is the work the whole work from home situation impacting some of these decisions? Yeah, I think large corporations. I mean, the largest corporations in the world they have embraced fully work from home, and they will keep on working like that uh, definitely. Then, for private, you know, for for private 
you know, privately held companies, it really depends on the on the personality of the owner, president, or you know, boards of directors, leaders. Let's say I think it really depends on them. Uh, if they are old school or new school, I think that everybody would like to really see their employees again and to have this real engagement, this really f- real physical engagement. But the reality, if you ask me, I mean, a lot of people, and you can talk to real estate companies, you can talk to, you know, commercial real estate companies, and, and you, you will see what's happening in the world. So probably what we are expecting is that the, the levels of, you know, occupancy of those large offices is going gonna, is gonna to stay very low in the near future. Uh, I think that organizations are going to keep on working remotely like massively. Mm. I'm not I'm not a good example in Dallas here in Texas because I was reading a, actually a couple of weeks ago I was really reading just reading a stat about you know the top 25 uh, largest cities in America and how many you know what's the percentage of employees going back to the office. The, I, I think that the country the country's average was was 24, 25%, the country's average, so all the cities average, sure. but in Dallas was over 50%. Yeah. So probably, you know, it depends on where in the country and it, it depends on which industry, but I, I, I definitely see that everybody's going to work more and more from home moving forward. And by the way, th- this, this is also having a, a side effect, which is there's a lot of salespeople that love to be traveling all the time. You know, and there's there's some salespeople that are, are having to adapt to having to work and sell remotely. And yeah. not everybody is not everybody is. I mean, when you used to go to the airports before on a Monday morning, how many salespeople will be going somewhere in the country or internationally sure. to close some business, right? Sure. So right now, there's some level of also uncertainty there in the sense that not everybody that was really good and, and comfortable selling face to face now. Are, are, are doing the same thing and are so comfortable selling remotely. So again, there's another trend there that I think is going to have, we, we should keep an eye on. Yeah, I think you really have to be, uh, I think you really have to understand what is important to your client, what is important to the person on the other side of the equation, because I, my experience has been with clients and everybody else that if you're, say, over 35, or you have a family, or you're over 35 and you have a family, you, you, you love working from home. In fact, you would love to work from home and have your kids in school so that it was nice and quiet during the day, and then the kids would come home from school and you could have time with them and you wouldn't have to be in a car traveling. If you're under 35, or if you're single, or if you don't have a family and you're dependent upon your, your occupation for your social life, this has been devastating for you and you can't wait to get back in the office because talking about what's on TV or talking about something you saw on Instagram around the water cooler is your social life. So, you know, there's there's really two uh, there's two extremes there. Now, what you said about salespeople, I think I think there's going to be a huge competitive advantage to people who can safely get in front of other people. Because you you mentioned it a few times, and I, I'm a, a, in 100% agreement with you. We need the face-to-face interaction. 
you know, we want to be able to sit across from people and have a have a conversation with them. My clients are asking me because I do. I used to do an annual live event with my clients every year. They're asking me when I'm planning the next live event. And I said, if I planned it tomorrow, would you come? Oh, no, no, I wouldn't come tomorrow. But as soon as I get a vaccine, I would come. So, you know, there's this magical time that's out there. As soon as everybody feels like we've hit that magical time, we have to be ready to meet the need of the people who want to be in person. And we also have to respect the fact that some people are just going to be comfortable being where they are. Myself, I traveled uh, 122 days in 2019, and I traveled seven in 2020. And um, I was thrilled to be working from home. At the beginning of the pandemic, you know, of course, I was, I was concerned about what's going on in the pandemic, but I was, I was saying to myself, listen, if I can re-engineer this business so that I can work from home, I think it'll work out really nicely. Well, now that we're almost a year into it, I wouldn't mind traveling a little bit. <laughs> Same here. Same here. Exactly. I mean, I, I remember the same as you, right? I mean, I remember what I mean, my one of the, my top years was like two, 215 flights in a, in a, in a year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's the kind of life that we probably many of the people listening to us also today have had. Um, but also, let me let me say something, you know, um, because we as as let's say as as public figures, right? I mean, we talk to others, we talk to others every sure. single day, we, you know, also, we have to be testimonials of what we stand up for. So, you know, um, maybe maybe we have to have two different kinds of events because sure. because there's people it's like, you know, I mean, I have a friend of mine who has a her daughter, you know, is is is, is a great gymnast and she and, and, and you know, when her when you go see her competitions, um, you know, there's like 40 girls over all, all in there, you know, doing gymnastics and gymnastics and and, 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 you know, not everybody like protects themselves, you know, as, as others are, might be, you know, sure. you know, thinking about, but you know what, that is right now, like a natural selection. You know what I mean? Yeah. So all these families have accepted the reality that if they want to have their kids thrive, they have to compromise. Right. And mm -hmm. uh, so I think that there's going to be some adjustment. I mean, we're still, honestly, I think that we're still adjusting Yeah. and there's going to be an adjustment. And I think that, you know, I, I obviously love to be on a stage and I love to have people around me and teach them and, you know, and, and, and coach them and whatever. And probably, but also I think that, you know, we have to be respectful and as public figures, we have to be, you know, trying to, trying to do them as much as we can for everybody that wants it, sure. you know, for everybody that wants it. So yeah. if we have to recategorize our clients or our clientele somehow, let's do it. You know, I mean, we don't have to. We don't have to hold a certain type of client hostage because you know what I mean? Yeah. Let's let's yeah. let's try to help as public figures. Let's try to help. I mean, again, that's my that's my take. Right. Yeah. Let's try to help everybody sure. while doing that. Let's let's live in a world in which, you know, we, we can do lots of things together sure. one way or another, you know, as opposed to, you know, oh, I cannot do this or I cannot do that. You know, let's let's try. The question is how, right? The question is how. It's not if, but how. How sure. could we do it? How could we do this? How could we do that? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your foundation. What uh, what inspired you to start it? And tell me about mm -hmm. the work that you do. Yeah. What inspired me was definitely being so many years. I lived in Mexico for ten years, and I worked in Latin America for almost fifteen years. So uh, I I was always seeing you know these kids every time I was going to a manufacturing plant to, to close some business with some CEO. Every single time there were all these kids outside those plants. 
you know, trying to keep my car safe or trying to sell gums or candies or food or clean my windshield. You know, you've seen this. I mean, you, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I, I had seen that for so many years. And, you know, there was this massive contrast in which the same day I would be meeting, you know, all those kids outside those plants. But then inside the plant, I would see these very powerful people dealing with multi-million dollar budgets. You know what I mean? Sure. So that that was really what 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 um, was all the time, like being, you know, ingrained in my in my brain. And one day, literally, I had some I had what I call a, 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 a spiritual experience in which suddenly I, I, I was in a, in a place and I started really literally crying and seeing all those images and all these kids in need and these powerful people and all those kids that needed someone. And, and the main question that actually bugged me a lot that day was, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? Who, who is better positioned than you, Angel, to do this? Mm. You tell me, who is, if you don't do it, who's going to do it? Reality, the answer is easy. The answer is nobody's going to do it if you don't do it, Angel. Sure. So, you know, that, that was the trigger that made me start Wisdom for Kids. Great. So how can how can people find out more about Wisdom for Kids? How can people find out more about you and your coaching? You. Where can they go and how can they find out more about it? Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, to, to know more about Wisdom for Kids, it's very easy. Go to wisdomforkids.today. Wisdomforkids.today. Okay. We're okay, going to so put that. There, we'll put that in the show notes. I'm writing it down right now. Awesome. Thank you so much. Wisdomforkids.today. Okay. And there you can, you can, uh, you know, you can donate. You can volunteer and you will see my story. Actually, there's an interview on the front page, so you will see exactly how everything came about and, and what we do. And to know more about my business or myself, number one, I'm very active on LinkedIn mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you are also very active on LinkedIn. So uh, we, we can, you know, you, you, you can easily, everybody, everybody watching us today or listening to us today, you will see us uh, or you will see me there, Angel Rebo, the CEO Confident. If you want to reach out to me directly, if you send me an email through the chat on LinkedIn, uh, you will see me. You, you, I will respond to you, either someone in my team or myself, I will do that. And if you want to send me an email directly, again, I answer all the emails, absolutely all of them. My email address is very easy, angel at angelrebo.com. Rebo is my last name and it's spelled like R-I-B as in boy O, angel at angelrebo.com. Great. Okay. We have all that in the show notes. You know, you, you mentioned LinkedIn and you mentioned being active on LinkedIn and, you know, for years I did LinkedIn the wrong way. Um, tell me how you use LinkedIn. Uh, it seems mm -hmm. like you're, it seems like you have a passion for it. It seems like you're, you're, you're into it. So t tell me about LinkedIn. Tell me how you use LinkedIn. Yeah. Thank you. Well, first thing I, I, I did, I mean, honestly, well, number one, everything I'm going to tell you is because I made a lot of mistakes <laughs> and I got Good. my profile. <laughs> Good. You're going to save got, me. You're going to save me so much time. <laughs> and I got my profile restricted, restricted and suspended a few times. Okay. Oh, wow. So okay. that's how, that's how much, how many mistakes I made without knowing really what I was doing. Okay. Yeah. So I learned the hard way. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so number one, and that will resonate with, with another part of our conversation today. Number one, be yourself, be natural. Mm -hmm. Every single day I get literally 15 to 20 connections to request, requests to connect with me. And I get every single day hundreds of messages literally onto my profile because I have almost 27,000 connections. Mm. Guess what? 99% of the people that connect with me send me sequences of three or more emails inside LinkedIn, each of them of multi pages. Mm. 
wow. of multi-page length. Hmm. All right. So this is wrong. You know how many? You know how long is a is a connection? Uh, is a request to connect email from me to anybody I want to connect? One sentence. Hmm. One. It's one sentence. Nothing else. <laughs> so, again, imagine that you are in a networking event and you're reaching out to someone mm -hmm. with a very simple question. You're not going to ask that person, hey, do you, know, do you want to hire me? Why everybody is saying, sorry to get into your, sorry to bother you, sorry to blah, 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 blah. I want to do, I was wondering if you would like to do. Come on. If you yeah. go to a networking event face to face to a country club or wherever you go, come on, give me a break. What are you going to say? Hey, hi, how are you? Whatever, right? Maybe you talk about the weather. Maybe you talk about the family. Maybe you talk about the last game from, I don't know, the, in my, our case, the Dallas Mavericks or, mm -hmm. or the Cowboys, whatever that is. You know. So why are you trying to fake it? Why are you trying to do something which is not normal, not natural? That's, that's number one. Number two, um, post consistently. I post both, both business and both business and personal all the time. And I can tell you last year, for instance, from a business, from a personal perspective, the posts of the subject matters that they posted, I posted the most last year were number one, building bridges, building bridges and reconnecting. And number two, give me a break. Give me a break. Was one of the two themes that I, I posted the most from a, from a personal perspective. And then I use, as I, as I have been posting consistently every single day, consistently for you know business and and personal right now i literally have you know hundreds and hundreds of people that uh, over the period of a, of a week interact with me i mean i have you know my 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 uh, engagement is is very often very close to 10% which is great you know people that really you know say their there's their their word about what you are sharing sure. so that has allowed me to actually use my my exposure and offer my exposure to other people Mm. So I'm, I'm right now, literally, when I say LinkedIn strategist, I've been able to to design strategies specific for both entrepreneurs and corporations so that they gain more, you know, more exposure and they use that additional exposure as an excuse to increase expansion. Mm. Again, you know, everybody, that's why when you read my bio, it's about, all about I'm all about expansion and exposure, expansion, and exposure, mm -hmm. because they go hand to hand and linking those two worlds of entrepreneurial, you said before, you know, we entrepreneurs, you know, we, we kind of live in our own world. I would say the other way around. Actually, I would say that corporate America lives in a, in, in a different world, right? Because I have been able those, I mean, those, you know, those connections, this expertise I learned by being an entrepreneur on LinkedIn and use it for my clients good and for my own good, I would have never learned it if I had stayed in corporate America, impossible, yeah, impossible, really impossible. And again, right now I am the softest person reaching out to anybody. And that's probably why I'm successful because I have genuine conversations with people, genuine conversations, real conversations of real people talking to each other about whatever that is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thank you so much, Angel Rebo. It's been a real ple pleasure speaking with you. You can find out more about Angel Rebo at the CEO Confidant, the CEO Confidant.com. That's the CEO Confidant.com. Find out more about his charitable foundation at 
wisdomforkids.today, wisdomforkids.today. You can reach out to Angel at Angel, A-N-G-E-L, at Angel Rebo, A-N-G-E-L-R-I-B-O.com. Angel, it's been a privilege having you on today. Thanks so much for joining us. The That'll do it. Nice. Thank you. Oh, it's, the <laughs> honor is ours. That'll do it for another episode of the Inside BS Show, folks. We will see you again right back here tomorrow for another edition of our show. We take inside business strategy, share all the insider business secrets, and cut through all that inside BS that bogs you down. Until tomorrow, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life. <laughs>